0: And you know what's really ironic what's really ironic is that they will turn around and say ah well the messenger he said that uh, don't write uh, don't write down the the hadith okay so they use hadith but that that's, that's a hadith itself, itself yeah <laughs> right <laughs> somebody had to collate I never thought of it that somebody way. had to write that down for them to use Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wassalatu Wassalamu Ala Rasulillah Sallallahu Alayhi Wasallam Welcome listeners to episode 11 of the Talking Deen podcast I am your host Majid and today I have my co-hosts brother Rash and brother Ishti Assalamu Alaikum wa Rahmatullahi wa Barakatuh brothers Wa Alaikum Assalam
1: wa Rahmatullahi wa Barakatuh
0: How is everything everything well
1: Alhamdulillah
0: it's It's been a while uh, since I've been on on it anyway and uh, after you know uh, Rash's performance as a host on the, the last bonus episode I was worried that I wouldn't be here again but Alhamdulillah these brothers are very generous and giving me another opportunity. But uh, it's, we've had a couple of bonus episodes out We have, yeah, we've had the Talking
1: Sira has started And the second episode has, has come out And actually the Kashmir episode is performing as well as almost any of our other podcasts It's had more downloads than a lot of the other podcasts So again, it just goes to prove how much of a, an important
0: and sensitive topic that is for the Ummah today Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah Okay, so inshallah ta'ala, uh, brothers and sisters out there Let's get on to today's topic now, Subhanallah. Today's topic is is very, very important, uh, extremely important, important actually. And there's a hadith of the Messenger wasallam when he said that none of you will have iman till he loves me more than his father, his children, and all of mankind. So here, Subhanallah, what we're seeing is that as Muslims, it is part of our iman that we love the Messenger wasallam more than any. Any part of mankind, whether that's our parents, whether that's ourselves, even. Okay, so this is something which every Muslim has to believe, and we see that our love for the Messenger, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, is great because you know we've seen incidents where um, our uh, you know Blessed Messenger has been insulted. We see you know the Charlie Hebdo cartoons, for example, um, and we see that Muslims around the world were open arms. You know, there were demonstrations. There were protests, you know, even people people even died. Why? Because, you know, the, the feel we have for the Messenger wasallam, is something that the non-Muslims will never understand. So subhanAllah, what we're going to speak about today, brothers and sisters, is very important for those who say that they love the Messenger wasallam, Because, yes, we react in a certain way when the Messenger is insulted. But the attack that we're going to speak about today in this podcast is something that many of us might not even know that it's going on. And this is the attack on the sunnah, i.e. the attack on the hadith. And this attack is more than just an insult on our beloved messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. This is an attack on his legacy. This is an attack on his messengership. And in fact, this is an attack on Islam itself. So inshallah ta'ala, you know, let's get into it, brothers. Um, So, you know, I think... What would be important, especially to you know a lot of our viewers out there, is to speak about Sunnah itself before we even get into the attack. And the reason why I say that is I'll use myself as an example. Um, I used to believe Sunnah is something which is recommended. So if somebody said this same thing to me, I would think, well, why are they, why are the enemies of Islam attacking a part of Islam which is recommended? Um, or does Sunnah mean more than this? So, inshallah ta'ala, let's start on this point. What is the sunnah
2: itself? You're right. It can be confusing because the the term sunnah can be used interchangeably. For example, linguistically or literally what it means is path or way. So, for example, you might have a grassed area and people keep walking on it. It forms a path. And it's a path formed out of habit. So, this is where it comes from. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses it in this context in the Quran. Sunnatul awwaleen. The... The... uh, the pre- previous generations the pre- pre- we sent the messages on the same mission um, however when it comes to the prophet in particular we can break it down into three items sunnatul koliya, the sunnah that it was said by the prophet i.e. the words that he spoke sunnatul filiyya the actions so the things that he did with his limbs and he, he said to do and the other ones are sunnatul uh, i.e. the approvals something that Within the presence of the Prophet ﷺ, whilst he was there, the, the Sahaba may have done something and he, he didn't say anything. Or they asked for asked him a question and he responded, can we do this, can we do that? Um, so exa- oh, there's that example where uh, a lizard was being eaten in front of the Prophet ﷺ and the Prophet ﷺ personally did not choose to eat it. Because he said this is not something that we do. We used to do in Makkah. But there's a there's an instance with Khalid ibn al-Walid. Where he ate it as a warrior. And uh, Ibn Abbas. So he approved it. You can eat it though. Um, so this is when it comes to the actual actions of the Prophet. ﷺ. Now there's another aspect. That you sort of uh, mentioned. Sort of mentioned um, when the scholars of the fiqh. Uh, the actions that we undertake. They class the sunnah the sunnah in different uh, categories to clarify it, what actions we can undertake so the first is the most obvious compulsory what we have to do and we call these fard or wajib um, and so if you don't do them uh, there's a punishment or a sin and if you do them there's a reward so for example giving the salaam in the prayer is considered a wajib you know when you turn your head to your shoulder the next category is mandub, recommended action so it's recommended you don't need to do it but if you do it there's a reward so there's a recommendation to fast on the monday uh, as the prophet ﷺ do, did it if you don't do it fine But if you do it it's rewarded the use of the Miswag, this you know cleaning your teeth is a rewardable action but if you don't do it that's fine Mubah. That's neither disallowed or allowed. If you do it, you don't do it, it's fine. So this is to do with things that are within the halal category, but uh, permissible. But um, like they're like, or you might choose to eat a particular food. You might choose to run instead of walk. So these kind of things. Um, so or walk instead of travel by car. Then there's another category, makruh. And disliked, uh, so basically it's hal- allowed, but it's uh, it's better. There's a reward for staying away and this is staying awake after Isha time, which is kind of commonplace, especially in the uh, areas away from the, uh, the uh, equator. Divorce can be classed as a makruh action because Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala allows it in the Quran, but the Prophet Sallallahu said, "It's the most abominable." Uh, most abominable or permissible things in the sight of Allah is divorce. This is from the Hadith of the Prophet And then the final is haram. I totally disallow. You can't go down that avenue, and there is actually a sin uh, associated with it. One of these things is given a bribe. So this is from the Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu um, alaihi So this is what we when we talk about Sunnah. This is what we this is what we mean.
1: Yeah, And I think the misconception comes from When people say all of those categories They've said okay that's sunnah But the the fard doesn't come from the sunnah This is a kind of misconception Because they think sunnah and fard are two different things But we have to understand that Even the fard comes from the sunnah Isn't it? It's the teachings of the Mm. Prophet Where the fard comes from Comes from the Quran And then the sunnah explains that So the fact that the fard is coming from the sunnah Sometimes people think Oh, I thought Sunnah was Sunnah and not Fard. So that's where there's a common misconception okay, amongst you know, people who maybe don't look into it as much as kind of other people.
0: Yes, I mean, uh, uh, like you guys have said, um, so even when we look at the Sunnah, I think to the different uh, type of science, uh, the scholarly science. So as uh, Brother Ishti said, is that the actions or the the, the, the speech or the you know the consent. Uh, but I think the important point also is, is the categories that should explained, because, like you said, people would think uh, Sunnah is those Sunnah nawafil prayers, but the reality is is that yes, to some scholars, Sunnah is the same as nawafil, yeah, i.e., it's a recommended action. But to the scholars of Usul al-Fiqh, Sunnah is a source of legislation to derive rules in the same way as the Quran. So that's why whenever we say that, you know, if you say um, you want some evidence. What you will say is okay. Show me where it says this from the Quran and the Sunnah, and you use it in this way. You know, and those categories that to explained there. You know about the the fard and the uh, mandub and moba. This is very important because it may well be that there's actions that the Messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam did, which are like you said from the Sunnah, but they are obligatory. Okay, so so, so I think that that's really uh, uh, that, that that's nicely explained you could add to that that what allah says in surah an-nahal
1: is we have revealed to you a dhikr and he's talking about the quran and then he says to be explained to you by the prophet so actually that kind of links the fact that we talk about two aspects we're talking about kind of actions that we carry out ourselves based on the prophet and then there's kind of the transactional elements and how they link back to our deen so those things we need the Qur'an come, came to us as kind of more of the theory. There's another way to look at it. The, the Qur'an comes to us more as the theory, as a here's the premise, and then the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi via his teachings then explains that to us. And Allah says that in that in the ayat. He's saying that there's the dhikr and then there's the explanation of the dhikr. And that's the idea that we now understand what Allah said via uh, an exemplified example from the Prophet وسلم, or from a messenger himself. Like with every single um, message that was sent from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, every book that was sent was sent along with a messenger. It was never sent in isolation. It wasn't sent like a book didn't fall out of the sky and say, here you go, you know, this is how you live your life. It was always sent with a messenger, which is why the idea is that the sunnah is that explanation in human form. For the actual, the idea or the actual, the rules themselves
0: Okay, so, you know, I think when we're speaking about the uh, the attack on the Sunnah Which we'll, we'll, we'll get to It is more to do with the attack on uh, the Hadith uh, Or, or uh, the attack on the Sunnah as a source of legislation, okay But just to make it clear to, you know, the, uh, the audience um, The Sunnah, some people will say that uh, the Sunnah is like a secondary source uh, along with the Qur'an So you have the Qur'an If you can't find anything in there Then you'll go to the Sunnah I.e. is a secondary source Is this the case Or is it seen on the same level As the Qur'an As a source of uh, legislation
1: So f- from my point of view First and foremost We understand that we take a Shahada In our Shahada we're actually saying That the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Is the last Messenger of Allah yeah, we're actually linking our belief system, our Shahad thing. we are linking that with the fact that we believe in Allah and then we believe in the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So even there in our very first contract that we take as being a Muslim we're identifying just how important The Messenger ﷺ is just how important the sunnah is itself. So I would I always start with that as the starting premise. But then you can take it on. There's lots of evidences and we can discuss them. But then the other aspect is historically, there was some opinions of people saying that the sunnah was secondary. There was even an opinion that the sunnah was actually above the Quran. This was a minority opinion, but there was this. But the vast majority was that they're both at exactly the same level. Because it's the idea that you can have something that gives you guidance, but if you don't know how to practically implement that guidance in your life, then almost that guidance becomes very theoretical. Like we say when we go to university and we go to school and all of these things, they teach us an element of theory, But then they tell us, how do you practically apply that theory in your lives? If all of a sudden they just taught us theory, then we wouldn't be able to apply it. Especially when it's theory based on the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He understands everything, He understands us and everything around us. So it's not something we can derive ourselves from the theory. We need wahi, we need revelation as well to explain that to us. And the sunnah of the Prophet this is where people sometimes Come slightly unstuck is, that is wahi as well. That is revelation as well. What the Prophet wasallam did was not from his own whim and desire. So we know that the fact that his actions are wahi, that they are, they are important to stay on that same level. So historically there was a difference, but the vast majority of people put both at exactly the same level.
0: You know, even the uh, Qur'an and Sunnah, which is in Arabic, Qur'an wal, wal Sunnah, is one, is one phrase. It's one phrase. Um, there's no uh, elevation of the Quran before the Sunnah in that respect. In is in the in Islam, Quran while Sunnah is uh, is basically gives importance to both of those uh, on the same level.
2: So just to add to the previous point, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala clarifies this matter in the Quran, and from what I've understood and from what I've learned ayat where Allah says Allah has surely blessed the believers with his favor when he raised them in in their midst a messenger. So from amongst them who recites to them his verses and makes them pure and teaches them from the book and the wisdom while they were earlier in open error. Now we can take four things from these ayat. By the way that was in Surah Ali Imran uh, verse 164 Uh, and there's a similar one in uh, Surah 62 verse 2. So, the first thing, the Prophet came to teach us the recitation of the book, the actual words, the text that was revealed to him. Number two is actually teaching the book, explaining the book. Then, it's mentioned the hikmah. So, here's the knowledge, how do you apply that? So, wisdom is actually the application of that knowledge. And there's quite a few examples of that. In the Quran, a number of places,
1: Allah actually mentions the hikmah, being like the sunnah, as in the wisdom
2: behind the Quran. Mm. Yeah, it's not just like the odd verse or two. There's quite a few from and, what I've seen. And then the next step is making people pure. So Allah Subhanahu wa Taala breaks it down very clearly in these ayat. This is what the messenger is for, and this is his role.
0: Okay, Subhanallah. And you know, just uh, there's some examples in the in the, the Quran itself as well, where uh, there's a couple of ayat here uh, from Surah Al-Hazrath. Where uh, translation of the meaning, Allah says, It is not it is not uh, for a believer, believer, a man or a woman, when Allah and His Messenger had decreed a matter that they should have any option in their decision. Uh, so here you can see that it says, When Allah and His Messenger, okay, then for example in Surah Al Imran, uh, Allah says, Say, Obey Allah and His Messenger, okay, again, uh, Allah and His Messenger. Then in Surah Al Nisa, you believe, obey Allah and His Messenger. And those of you who are in authority, if you differ in anything amongst yourselves, refer to refer it to Allah and His Messenger. If you believe in Allah and the Last Day. So again, uh, it links it to Allah and His Messenger, and also to emphasise the authority of the Sunnah. The Quran actually mentions disobedience to the Prophet sallallahu as being disobedience to Allah. So Allah says in Surah Al jinn and whosoever disobeys Allah and His Messenger then verily for him is the fire of hell he shall dwell therein forever and one last example is and whoever, con- Surah Nasa, and whoever contradicts and opposes the messenger after the right path has been shown clearly to him and follows other than the believers way we shall keep him in the, we shall keep him in the path he has chosen and burn him in hell what an evil destination so what you can see from here is that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about the sunnah are you following the Messenger of Allah sallallahu It's on the the authority of the Sunnah is on the same level of, of the Quran.
1: What Allah is doing is he's putting the Prophet sallallahu on a level from a legislation point of view. So from a legislation point of view, even in Surah An-Nisa, where it says, "Whoever obeys the Messenger has obeyed Allah," because he's saying that you know, from a legislation point of view, what the Prophet sallallahu has brought in terms of rulings is at the same level. Because these are actions that you need to carry out or these are actions that fall into the categories that Ishti has kind of highlighted for us. And you can take some examples. You mentioned the miswak, Because the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, he says, If I didn't feel that this was going to become a burden upon you, then I would have made this fard. I would have made this a mandatory act, obligatory. But he recognized that Allah had ordained on him the ability to le- make something legislative to make change the criteria of something from recommended to fard he had that he had the authority to do that where people don't appreciate this sometimes sometimes they just assume that just because allah has made certain things fard and then the prophet sallallahu has shown us but actually he had the authority to actually make something fard if he wanted to yeah? in terms of that Allah had bestowed upon him that, that he can do that. In terms of, there's another example. And so actually he, what he said is he, he didn't do that because he felt that would be difficult. And to be fair, take that in reality. Imagine you're out trying to pray your salah when you're traveling and you didn't have a miswak on you. And now all of a sudden, you need to go and find one before you can do your rec- um, mandatory prayer. It would actually become quite potentially quite difficult for us. Um, the other example is the example of taraweeh. So again, the Prophet Sallallahu the first couple of nights of Ramadan came to the mosque. They paid Taraweeh in, in congregation. After a few days, he didn't. And again, it was that foresight to know that if he did it, then it, it would become fard. So there was this, this is just to highlight that things can become legislative from the actions of the Prophet Sallallahu and he understood that they could become kind of in a certain category and therefore he chose on that basis, you know,
2: there's two things to add to both of your points. Mm. When Allah is mentioned to obey Allah, it's also coupled, joined together with obeyance of the Prophet sallallahu There is emphasis on this. There's not two separate mm. statements. It's one whole statement. If you obey, you obey Allah, you obey the Messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So there's that, and we have to really understand that. Now there's a very interesting aspect to this, right? So never is when the obeyance of Allah mentioned. Is there an instance where the obeyance of the Prophet is mentioned, is not mentioned? However, hmm. when there is some instances where you, know, you are asked to have obedience to the Prophet where obedience to Allah is not mentioned. So for example, in Surah 24, and if you obey him, you will be rightly guided. So if you obey the Prophet, you will be rightly guided, but it's not coupled with obeyance of Allah. So this is emphasized when obedience is mentioned to Allah, but it can also be mentioned separate, so there's something to be taken away from this. But also, as you said, the Sunnah was revealed to the Prophet. That is part of revelation. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Your companion has <laughs> not strayed, or nor has he erred. He does not speak from his own desires. It's not him saying this. In huwa illa wahyun yuha it is a revelation it is revealed to him and this is how people understood it if you think about this when we do wudum, right we say we can't do the actions three times and it's in a particular order because all the hadith come in that order and they have those actions so no scholar has any choice to follow them because this is the way the prophet did it each and every single time and that's what makes it far to have that order if you go out a step of that order you have to do it do it again
0: Okay, Subhanallah. You know some amazing points there. So the next, so I, mean, I think what you guys made clear is that you know what is the Sunnah, the authority of the Sunnah, um, and even we see that uh, from the saying of uh, you know Aisha radiallahu, radiallahu anha when she said when she described the Messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam as being the walking, talking Quran. Okay, and we see this. The we see why why he was the walking, talking Quran because of the the idea and the method. I.e., for example, the methodology of the of the Sunnah basically is something which uh, to understand and to to obey Allah through the Quran in the correct way, it cannot be done without the Sunnah. Okay, um, so this is something which you cannot separate. You cannot separate the. You cannot separate them. So the next question really is is uh, why? Uh, let's discuss. Why is there an attack on the Sunnah? What are they trying to achieve? And if they were successful, what would be the result?
1: So in terms of attack on the Sunnah, actually the attack on the Sunnah has lots of strands to it. So let me give a few of the base strands and then we can necessarily go out kind of discuss each one separately. One element of it is, is that to remove it altogether yeah in terms of there are those people who actually say you do not need the sunnah at all because they they give some reasons for it they give it that oh okay the sunnah was collected later um the sunnah is not protected in the same way as the quran is protected and we can we can Debunk these ideas quite easily, but but I'll just lay the premise. So, the, you know, to remove it altogether. So, you, they're called, I don't know, Quranists, Quranians, and Parvezis. You've got all sorts of names for them I've heard over the years. Parvezis? Yeah, yeah that was mm. a new one that I heard recently, but not sure where that came from. But again, basically, people who completely remove the Sunnah altogether basically create this new religion where it's just the Quran because saying that Allah has protected the Quran the miracles come from the Quran therefore that can be the sole legislation or sole kind of source of legislation so there's that attack and sometimes it's easy to go that's easy to debunk so let's not even talk about that but actually that plays a part in the second one so the second one is to actually dilute the sunnah such that you remove elements from it especially those elements that have a kind of a political and a governance nature those elements that quite often come from kind of ahad narrations or kind of um, hadith that come from single chains of narration so that second one is to go here is the hadith But let's whittle it down and keep removing elements of it so that actually what you're left with is very few hadith and very small amount of sunnah, meaning that your pool, that you take... Legislation from or you take rulings from becomes very very small. So that's like the the second type of um, attack Or I would say the second strand and the third one which is kind of linked to this one is where they're basically trying to completely Spiritualize mm-hmm. the Sunnah where it becomes like okay, the Sunnah is this kind of Islam is purely a religion mm-hmm. It's not a deen. It's not an ideology. It's purely a religion everything that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi came with is basically what you just do in your personal sphere in your personal kind of private life and then actually all of the other aspects actually the aspects that will help us liberate much of our lands the aspects that will help take the ummah out of the darkness that she is in today let's remove all of those so all of a sudden you're left with this sunnah which is you know not capable of of kind of being our salvation and you actually completely remove big parts of the mission of the Prophet ﷺ himself. So those are the
0: three strands. So what you're saying is, uh, to, to go back to the question itself, uh, we can go into those a bit more, in a bit more detail, but the overall, um, the overall goal is to...
2: I would say, you know, what we mentioned earlier, sorry to no, uh, in, right. interject. Uh, we said that both are Revelation Quran and the Sunnah. And when we see that people are doing these actions... It's not just an attack on the Sunnah, it's attack on Islam, on the system of Islam. Now, Brother R- Rashid mentioned it earlier, you know, at the end of the day, there's principles in Islam, we call this the idea of Islam, mm. so these are generally revealed in the Qur'an, and then there's the method. The attack, so the way you actually undertake those commands, those mm. obligations, what I mentioned in, uh, in the Qur'an, And every action that you're going to take in your normal life anyway. Because as we said, Islam has come true to address all facets of life, all aspects of life. So if you remove the Hadith, what you're actually doing is you're removing the ability to undertake those actions. So it's literally debilitating us. And that is the reason there's an attack on the Sunnah ultimately.
1: Yeah, no. so in answer to you quickly, and again to extend what Ishti is saying is that the attack is, like I say, it's multi-pronged. Yeah, there's lots of them, but it's basically in order to weaken Islam. The, the fundamental answer is that it weakens Islam and it's to make sh- sure that Muslims don't have all of the sources of legislation to be able to bring them at, themselves out of the difficulties that they are facing. So that's why they're doing it.
0: Okay, so I mean, uh, there's like you mentioned, these different strands and there's so much to, to cover. Obviously, we can't do that because otherwise we'd have many, many different episodes of the same uh, podcast, right? But what I would say is, uh, maybe what you described is the more dangerous is the element of reducing the hadith. Why? Because it comes from, uh, uh, it looks like it's more internal. It's an internal thing, right? Whilst the people who uh, totally reject the sunnah, like pervizis or whatever you call them, right? They, you know, they they sort of fall out the the fall of Islam anyway. But, before we get on to the reducing element, which I think is the more important one, one question that I think uh, is important, especially from the angle of rejecting the hadith altogether, is for our normal, uh, for not normal listeners, for all the listeners, is the fact that, you know, what people will claim is that the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Qur'an that he has protected this, yeah. That he has protected the Quran, okay. Uh, so, there, there's a promise from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Himself that He has protected the Quran. But what they will say is that the hadith or narrations that have been uh, put collected by certain individuals uh, many years later, and we're talking about not talking about 10 20 years, hundreds of years later, um, which a do not have the protection extended that Allah gives to the Quran, and B are totally prone to error because they are just men writing down the speech of men. Okay, uh, and even for example, we know that there's people like that uh, Mufti Abu Laith where right now you know he's ha- he's uh, on an onslaught against Sahih Bukhari, for example. Okay, but the question is: is how uh, you know if you could do this quite quickly? Is how do how do you deal with that? That attack because for someone who doesn't have the information you become confu- I think you'd be confused so there's a rational way of looking at it and then there's the
1: kind of evidential way as well so the rational way to look at it is that when Allah says he protects the Quran or He he protects okay he says he protects Islam mm. if we start separating so for instance if it just just think of it rationally so all of a sudden Allah saying he's protecting Islam if he protects the Quran And then not the sunnah then just rationally all of a sudden that is not islam anymore because you cannot implement islam without the sunnah so it's like what i said right at the beginning if you protect the theoretical element but you don't show people how to practically implement it just purely rationally you are you're basically destroying islam yeah, so first and foremost, when Allah says He protects the um, Islam, He is actually protecting both. Mm. He's not just protecting the Quran, He is protecting the Sunnah as well. That, that's a kind of an rational point of view.
2: Um, Would you say, on, yeah. you know, when Allah says He has perfected His deen, He yeah. has perfected His favour on you, part of that is that favour is the rule and how to enact it exactly. And how can that favour be perfected and complete until the day of judgment? If, and if, half, of it, if yes. half of it. Oh, is gone. gone yeah, exactly. Then you're actually making a claim against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Exactly. May Allah save us from such a thing. But. exactly. So we have to be very careful. Well, people have to be very careful of what they say. The second thing is, how do they even understand what the Quran means without the, the sunnah, right? For example when we say the Prophet is Rahmatullah alameen he's a mercy to all mankind what does that actually mean? Without the sunnah and the hadith we don't understand. It might just mean he's a merciful man. When actually it's his laws What the sunnah he bought How we change man from The lightness into the dark Through the correct actions Doing what man should do
0: that, that's, that's true What you're saying is correct I mean, we don't disagree with that But they don't even accept The sunnah in the first exactly. place Exactly So So that wouldn't be you wouldn't be dealing with that particular uh, angle by saying what you're saying now and this is why you can't present
1: hadith to those people who already it's like how can if they don't accept hadith you can't go to them with other hadith to say this is why the sunnah is important you almost have to put that aside originally and have that discussion with them but actually the evidential reasons for your question as well is that actually when they say that all the you know the sunnah wasn't protected or they're actually questioning the whole science behind collating the, the Quran itself so as we know the strict methodology that was done to go through to make sure you kind of memorize all of the Quran you write the Quran down and going through that process of completely making sure nothing incorrect can go into it that same methodology was applied to the Sunnah as well as well as the fact that some people say it was hundreds of years later that the the hadith was written down. but this is as we know from lots of evidences this is not true that the hadiths were being written down quite early by many of the people, many of the Sahaba, but it was just that right at the very beginning, the Prophet said to not write the hadith down, mainly because at that time, the the Muslims hadn't maybe fully appreciated the language style of the Quran, such that he didn't want anybody to confuse the Quran and the Sunnah. So at that very, like kind of right at the beginning, they were told not to write it down, but even during the life of the Prophet they were then allowed to. The Prophet ﷺ said, "You can write it down now." So, the, so those people who attack the Sunnah to say it wasn't written down—that's that's
0: completely incorrect in itself. The thing is, is to be honest with you, the way that the uh, the hadith were preserved were through memorization, through discussions, through practice, practical implementation, yeah, practice, and then through writing. And you know what's really ironic? What's really ironic is that they will turn around and say, ah, well, the messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he said that, uh, don't write, uh, don't write down the the hadith. Okay. So hadith but that, that's, that's a hadith itself. Self, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody had to collate that. I never thought of it Somebody way. had to write that down for them to use. But anyway, so what we can see is clearly, uh, and, and to be honest with you, I think uh, Brother Ishti made a fantastic point also, the fact that when Allah SWT says that I have, uh today i have perfected your deen okay uh to think that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would have said that he preserves the the quran the deen the quran itself is not just talking about you know people think that this means that you know you cannot change a single letter that's part of it but how can you say that if it's a prerequisite that you definitely need the guidebook either the uh the um description the, the 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 sunnah the hadith uh in order to understand the Quran In order to understand the the uh, Circumstance of revelation and stuff like this To say that you need this To understand the Quran But then to say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Has not given any importance To uh, the actual uh, Thing you need to understand the Quran Is something which is Which is an accusation Against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Imagine this Who were the most proficient
1: In the Fusha? Who are the most proficient? Those Arab Muslims there, Mm -hmm. the actual Sahaba themselves. Who does Allah highlight as being, he is so pleased with them. You know, the Sahaba themselves, after a verse was revealed, would go to the Prophet and say, explain this to us. Subhanallah. If they, the best, you know, some of the best people of ever would required explanation from the Prophet of the verses of the Quran, then who are we? Exactly. So this idea that Allah would not protect His revelation, both the Quran and the Sunnah, it just goes, it's like you, it's like Ishti said, it's almost make a direct attack on Allah to say that, okay, you're going to protect one half, but not the other. You
2: haven't therefore protected the whole thing. Yeah. And you know, I'll give you an uh, example from the time of Medina, actually. You know, the hypocrites, they used to come to the Prophet Sallallahu and say, is this a revelation by God or is this what you're saying? They used to actually try and make a distinguish this, yeah, yeah. this matter. And they used to, you know, could challenge the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in Medina. So Allah revealed, Allah Subh'anaHu Wa taala revealed the ayat in Surah An-Nisa. But no, by your Lord, they do not believe in reality until they make a judge. You a judge. I, you a judge. Not Allah Subh'anaHu Wa ta'ala, not the revelation. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. That which has become a matter of disagreement that arises amongst them. Uh, you know, that... And you know interestingly that arises the word shajara is like whatever sprouts up it's not fixed to a time so not then not now for for until the end of time time. right and and they do not and they do not find any straightness any sort of negative emotion to that judgment so allah is saying you're the judge you're the one like you said is the one that he has the ability to make something fun and when someone he passes that judgment you have to accept it and you have to be happy in that judgment. So Allah had to, well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed an ayat to address this issue at that time.
0: Subhanallah. Subhanallah. And just to, before we move on to the uh, the uh, the next section, just want to quickly mention the fact that you know this this idea that uh, nothing was written down and then was collected later on. You know uh, there are transcripts by uh, Abdullah uh, Abdullah bin Amr ibn Al As. Uh, Amr ibn Hazim, obviously we have Abu Huraira, Ali, uh, Ali radiyallahu anhu, uh, the script of Anas uh, of Ibn Abbas. Mm. You know, so so this is something which is an
2: attack uh, by those who are insincere in what they're trying to do. So, if you think by at the time of Medina when this ayat was mentioned, I was meant to give a bit of an explanation. You know, when the Quran and the Sunnah was being mentioned, it was coming from the same mouth, and it was actually heard by the same ears. Those people who re- re- reported it the same people who reported well recited the quran to future generations so at that time there was no distinguishing feature in terms of how it came to us what was the distinguishing feature was one was quran and one was hadith and it's important to understand that
0: yeah and also i think to be honest with you you know the way we we break this uh, hadith and the the quran and the sunnah in all honesty you know to them it was just all revelation exactly. it was just you know it was only the hypocrites who asked the question who's it from but you know, would there uh, would there have been? There's only one instance that I can remember when they when they asked at uh, at the Batla Badr "Is this a revelation, or is this your opinion?" But the the Sahabi didn't say to the Messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam, "Is this Allah's opinion, or is this your opinion?" You know, son. And I think that's very very important that you know, uh, and that's why, uh, Rash, I think you were saying uh, that you know you you met someone who didn't believe the Sunnah, Rejected the Hadith, and uh, how did he pray? <laughs>
1: This is the thing. He was like he said he didn't have to do actions yes, to pray. Yes. He basically said that even when I'm just standing here talking to you, I could be He's praying. praying.
0: Yes, yeah, so obviously you know uh, we see that. But okay, let's let's move on now, inshallah, ta'ala, uh, to something which is more more current and and I think which is uh, something which is uh, far more deadly than what we've been speaking about, and that's uh, the uh, the attack on the sunnah, but in a way where in fact it's being highlighted as something which is trying to preserve the sunnah trying to preserve the deen itself and uh, in in arabic uh, well we don't use the arabic but you know what we can translate the uh, we can translate this uh, to purifying the heritage and what we see is that uh, you know we can see that as the rush will inshallah both of you guys will explain a bit further is you have elements of the scholars in the muslim lands mostly in the in reality in saudi and the hijaz area who uh, what they are saying is that there are certain elements of the hadith which are being used by those who are the extremists the terrorists that what we need to do is we need to purify we need to have a, a massive overhaul of the hadith of the sunnah and to remove those elements which are from their point of view uh, which are, are fake and which are being used by people to push a certain agenda subhanallah so this is something which is going to be very important for our listeners to really understand as well so what we got to say about this then brothers so the term you used is the
1: term that's being you kind of being used by people as well as they're calling it purifying the heritage heritage being, you know, our heritage as the Sunnah itself, as Islam. So they're almost trying to say, like, let's take the Sunnah. And I I touched on it earlier on a little bit as well. But what they're saying is certain extremist groups, your ISs and your Talibans and what they class as extremists, what they do is they're taking certain Hadith, not parts of the Quran, but Hadith, and then justifying criminal acts, mm-hmm. justifying terrorist acts. So what they're trying to do is say, let's take those elements and there was a society set up quite recently by in 2017 By it's called the King Salman Complex yeah. and the King Salman Complex was set up in order to do this purifying the heritage. I suppose in itself if people listen back to our other podcast where we're talking about Vision 2030 mm-hmm. it's actually linked to that it's the idea that will they set up an organization which is going to go through all of the detailed hadith and remove those ones that the so-called extremists are going to use to justify criminal acts but what they're trying to do as part of that is give it a nice name purifying the heritage but does our heritage need to be purified what they're trying to do instead is go let's make a version of Islam that fits inside secular systems that the way I see it is as simple as that let's make a version of islam that by whittling away key hadith so that it fits within today's reality of secular systems rather than that version of islam that yes some groups may have misinterpreted and then justify criminal acts but actually those same hadiths are what we as muslims require in order to in future generations implement all of islam and that's where part of that kind of this style is being used
0: so you know uh what we can see is also in this attack is the attack, what they say, on the Ahad narrations. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and uh, so they will say that we, we could take Mutawata
2: narrations. So
0: is it worth explaining a bit of what is Ahad narrations?
2: Yeah. So first we have to look at the life of the Prophet sallam, And when we look at the life of the Prophet sallam, he dealt with all facets of a life. Because he was a man, right? He had a public life. He had a private life. And the reason why I'm mentioning this is, when he obviously he had a life at home so there weren't that many people around so you may, may there may be events that only Aisha the on saw whereas there were public events where there was many people who heard now Ahad re- relates to one single chain right one person so we have chains of narration so this person heard it from the Prophet this person heard it from person one and then the next person this is the chain so there are certain instances that one person encountered that event or heard that hadith and they passed it on to maybe one, two or three. Mm. And this is the narration. Now the scholars, they, what they do is they verify the, uh, the, that that person said it. And also, what what happened was there were mutawatir hadith. Now these hadith were heard by so many people and reported by so many people, there is no inconceivable thought, doubt that the Prophet said it. And it is a hundred percent a revelation, right? Yeah. Just like the other, it is revelation. The doubt is in the transmission, in that chain. So the, the it's ah- not verified by many people.
0: So the ahad hadith. Uh, so the people who collected the hadith. Yeah. Okay. Normally, the the chain of the hadith is about three generations in there, yes. right? So what they would have done is that the, the the collector would have spoken to someone who's in the third generation. Mm-hmm. So he would have heard from someone before so basically you know how you have the the you have the the content of the hadith and then you have those who narrated it yes so going back is maybe one two people in the chain you're saying Yeah. yeah okay so the attack is that this is unreliable yeah 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 that is the attack this is the attack now is this something which islamically is justifiable this attack what do you mean? I mean, for example, what they're trying to say, because the Ahad Hadith, the narrations, if you look in, if you pick up Sahih Bukhari and all of these, there's if, not in fact, them. there's only a few which are mutawatir. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So majority of the, you know, if you go to the the uh, the section of jihad, you go to the, the section of ruling and this, you know, the majority of the Hadiths would not fall into the category of mutawatir. Okay. And this has never been a problem for almost 1400 years. Give you an example in order to
1: answer your question, and it's linked to what you just said there. All of a sudden, if you got rid of all the ahad narrations and the majority of them came via Aisha, what, how would the women in our society implement their deen?
2: It'd be impossible
1: so it is not justifiable in the slightest and it's intentional because the this is the thing there's an understand it's right to say that there were fabricated hadith we know they are fabricated hadith. To, to to sit here and say oh you have to accept every single hadith. we know that there has been a process that the the scholars of past some great scholars have gone through and looked at in such detail and people don't appreciate the sciences of hadith you know Even we would never do that justice. Mm. Yeah. The science of hadith, it is, it can, it is so stringent. Yeah. But people have gone through this over many generations and collected the hadith and verified them and what's the classified them all. So the fact that that what they're saying is to be able to now, and especially who is doing it, Mm. those people who are showing themselves up as the enemies of Islam, those people who are giving medals to the, to Modi. Those people who are attacking Islam from within are the same people saying that we need to purify Islam. We need to change the Islam. So that's what I would say. People shouldn't even give it the... Yeah, it's not
0: even worth what it's written on. So subhanAllah, what you said there is, is, is bang on, Rash, to be honest with you. Because first of all, let's look at who's saying this. These are the same people who subhanAllah... You know, for, for decades now, have been hosting the American forces where many, many Muslims, right? Many, many Muslims, maybe well, no, millions of Definitely. Muslims have died. And subhanAllah, I'm sure these same people with their vast uh, knowledge of the heritage will know of the hadith where the messenger of Allah said that uh, a single drop of a Muslim blood is worth more than the Kaaba and its surroundings. And the amount of blood that they've shed is on unprecedented levels. So first of all, let's look at who's doing it. Secondly, I think it's important, let's look at what they're trying to attack. The fact that they said that we need to purify it to remove the hadith where those people who they label as terrorists and extremists justify their actions now what actions are they, are they talking about what actions are they talking about they mentioned taliban they mentioned isis they mentioned these types of groups okay we're not saying we agree with these groups entirely or even we groups uh, agree with them at all but let's let's see what ideas that they are justifying these groups they justify khilafa, they justify one ruler they justify the Sharia, they justify the Hadud, okay, they justify fighting jihad in the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make his deen the highest, okay. So what these people are calling terrorists is an extremist is nothing different to what Tony Blair said all those decades ago when when he described who is an extremist and who is a terrorist. An extremist and a terrorist, what he said is that person who wants a Sharia, who wants a unified Muslim land under one leader, who wants the, you know, jihad and stuff like this. So what we've seen, in effect, is that their attack is on the political elements of Islam, which is linked to the revival of the Ummah, is restoring the Ummah to its, to its rightful position, to restoring the honor to the Ummah, is this is what they're attacking. And in fact, what they are attacking is... Is in a way, you know, if we look at the Quraysh at the time of the Messenger Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, look at the pagans, we can see that very early on when they found out that the Messenger of Allah claimed that he was a messenger. Look at the resistance, it wasn't that much, it was maybe a bit of ridiculing and stuff like this. Soon as they realized that this is gonna impact their interests, that this is gonna change the status quo. That's when their resistance increased. So these same people are trying to change Al Islam through this claim of purifying the heritage, ma- mainly for their own positions, okay, and for their for their masters who sit in the White House. You know, and that's why that's how we should that's how we should say it. Because there are many people who you know blindly follow these people, even with what bin Salman's been doing lately. You know, we have Jeddah You know, we spoke about Vision 2030 In Jeddah, this is, this is the Miqat You know, we have concerts We have people, you know, speaking about the ills of society This is what the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam came to remove Yet these people are encouraging this And we think these people care about the heritage
2: You know, this is this is the thing You know, people like uh, Bin Salman What they've done is They've tried to pacify Islam They've tried to uh, dull it by understanding that it's the scholars that are mentioned these the Hadith, it's the scholars that are going against what they're saying, right? And ultimately what they're doing is that they're locking them up. They made even one of them turn up on TV and say, I I was an extremist, I followed an extremist version of Islam, and now I've reverted back to moderate and I reject everything. And that was for political uh, reasons. There was no other reasons for them. And this is the gain that they're giving. You know, there's a, uh, in each khutbah I've heard, there's a phrase that being mentioned, that gets mentioned. Each uh, Bidah replaces a Sunnah. This is literally happening in uh, Saudi Arabia, the, the, uh, the place where Islam started. From, from Islam, they're going reverting to Kufr, essentially. Um, so it's important to understand that and the pace that they're doing it. It's like bespoke Kufr in each of these lands. They're actually tailor making it for each of the lands. So in Saudi Arabia, they're very stringent, like they love their uh, sheikhs. so for example, uh, Sheikh F- uh, Salih al-Fawzan, what they did is, Salman came on TV, whether he agreed with them or not, he just turned the volume down, they just showed him shaking his hand, just to get that uh, agreement. They're using the scholars to their agenda, to dull Islam, that they're gaining that bias, but then they're only letting the ones they agree with. Islam is a complete system, as long as those hadith are present. And that's the point of this attack, by controlling what is being said. And, and it's trying to confuse Muslims. So
1: Muslims that recognise, you know, this is why I said earlier that the different attacks, they're kind of linked. So even though we cast aside those people who completely reject the hadith, they have presented certain arguments mm-hmm. like, oh, this hadith doesn't make sense or it looks fake, it's, it's um, fabricated, therefore I'm not going to accept any hadith. But they have presented a premise that allows these people to go, okay, there are some hadith that we can question, so let's question more. Mm. So that's why they're linked. That's why we shouldn't separate each of those elements. To the extent that in 2004, the Rand Corporation, what they said is, this is an American think tank, they said at the same time, until that can be accomplished, this is you know completely decimating Islam, what they said, a body of counter-hadith should be made available to those who want more tolerant, egalitarian, democratic societies, but are being persuaded that the changes they seek are un-Islamic. This is the RAND Corporation. This is where foreign policy of America is formed. And why is it that our Muslim lands, the leaders of our lands, are actually implementing this? We know why, but
2: does it need to be any clearer? See, think about it. They mentioned counter-hadith. I'd uh, forgotten about this, but now that you mention it, people would never accept that. Counter-hadith, what they've done is they've controlled what is being said. They're controlling what's being said on social media. They're controlling the voice that's being heard by the Muslims. And this is what they're doing. they they're making it tailor-making for each region yeah, And that's how reformation happens, isn't exactly. it? Reformation happens when you
1: cast doubt on all of those fundamental principles. Mm-hmm. So if you cast doubt on the Sunnah, you cast doubt on the Sahaba, you cast doubt on the Khulafa Rashidun and the Khulafas, the Khalifs that came after, you cast doubt on the classical scholars. If you cast doubt on all of those, anybody who comes forward now with a new version of reformed Islam, which is what they wanted to do for years now, every other major religion in the world has had a reformation. Islam needs a reformation. How can you reform Islam? You have to cast doubt on all of these things. And that's why there's that video, isn't it, that that, the person says, you cannot reform Islam because Islam has its own defense mechanisms. As long as the Muslims understand the Quran and the Sunnah, as long as they understand that they're all revelation, as long as they understand that they are at a level, then you cannot reform Islam. And that's why we have to be the guardians of that. And if we're not, then what will happen is they, they may succeed in some of these activities that they're carrying out.
0: And you know, subhanAllah, that's why, you know, we really we should give so much so much respect, mm-hmm. so much credit to those who preserved our deen. Subhanallah, you know, obviously the Sahaba and the, the Taba'in and the Tabitabaeen, but you know the the scholars of Usul Fiqh who set those boundaries, you know, who set the, the parameter you know of what's in this is islam what's out of this is not islam subhanallah because of these works because of these great works imagine the sadhika jari for these scholars these scholars are on a next next level and because of these people these you know the enemies of islam are finding it so difficult so difficult to change it purely because of the works that were done in the past and that's why subhanallah you know I, well, I think it's already happening. Maybe not so not so much in the open, but you know, I, I I think that even the great scholars won't be spared. You know, because to discredit this work, you have to discredit those people who actually set these uh, the the rules of the thick. You know, and this is why they try to remove some of their
1: books. You know, yeah. when they said a few years, a couple of years ago, what was it, the Riyadh summit? Yeah, they said what we need to do is get rid of some of these books because those books are what protects Islam. Mm. Obviously, they don't say it openly like that, but the reason they want to get rid of them is so that Islam can be attacked more, more easily. But you know, even some of the scholars, like Ibn Hazim, mm. um, he even said that if, if we only follow what is in the Quran, then he has become an apostate. So this is years and years of centuries ago that they're already seeing what is going to happen into the future. This is how visionary some of these scholars were. They recognize that actually, what if the time comes where people try to attack the sunnah? And okay, he's talking about removing it entirely, but we recognize that that is linked to the attack as well. So this is just goes to prove that we need to preserve that as well as the Quran, as well as the Sunnah.
0: Yeah, I think to be, to be honest with you, the the pre- preservation itself has been done. I think as Muslims, what we need to first of all is understand. First of all, we, I mean, we need to have an understanding of on uh, on Islam itself, or what you know, what is the Sunnah? You know the the life of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. As Muslims, every Muslim, I'm not even talking about scholarly, because this discussion here is not a scholarly discussion. We're, we're speaking on, on on normal people's level, because you know I think they were normal people ourselves, right? But what we have to understand is that the preservation has been done, but in regards to uh, exposing those who are attacking the Deen, this is not. A, uh, a responsibility of a particular uh, group or particular group of muslims this is actually a responsibility on all of the ummah because what's been attacked here is like i said before at the start if we can get so uh, you know irate and and so angry and and destroy buildings and burn cars because of the of the Kufar who have you know ridic- ridiculed and, and and drew the messenger ﷺ, in a cartoon to be honest with you, they are kuffar. What more can you expect them to do? But here what you're having is people who are supposedly on the inside actually rewriting everything. Rewriting everything. Okay? What's, what's worse? What's worse? A, a, a depiction of, of, of the Messenger of Allah in a cartoon or removing his sunnah from the lives of the Muslims? What's
2: worse? So obviously, see the sunnah, isn't it? Exactly,
0: you know, and that's the way that's the way we should see it. And, and Subhanallah, you know, we spoke about Vision Twenty Thirty last time, and you know, I recommend for uh, all our listeners who haven't watched that podcast, you know, this is all linked because Subhanallah, you know, the reforms they're trying to push through, they can't because of the Sunnah, right? Because you know, in reality, you know, the ayat of the Quran without the Sunnah, you could uh, you could basically Change it, the, change the meaning to some way you want to. In fact, without the Quran, without the Sunnah, would I be correct to say that without the Sunnah, you would not even be able to identify which was a Maki verse and which was
2: a Madani verse? Okay, so basically, it's open game. I'll, I'll give you one example. I was thinking about Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, Innamal We are one brotherhood. What does it mean to be a brotherhood? It's meaningless without the Hadith. Look for what you want for yourself for your brother you know these hadith actually explain that what it means to be a ikhwah yeah. you know to fast with uh, sabr what it means to be patient to persevere through hard times these are what these general aspects have to be clarified yeah. otherwise they can be used in the broadest sense possible and this is what they're aiming for and did. they're using their scholarly voice to take that away from islam but and, and it's also important to realize that each region has a specific sort of Uh, tailor-made gufa to appease people so if you look at more America and US they're looking at women's rights what and this kind of stuff but it's all an attack on the hadith and manipulating the hadith to change the way of the people here it might be spiritualizing people a lot of the strategies
1: always they say don't they they call it a generational struggle and the reason why they say generational struggle often is a lot of the time they don't expect that they're gonna attack the hadith today Hmm. and tomorrow it's going to have an effect. They recognize, you know, if they whittle things down at this early level today, over generations, then Muslims will start to question the hadith. Mus- Muslims will start to say, oh, it's not something that I just heard yesterday. It's something that's been going on mm-hmm. for 20, 30, 50 years. Because they recognize to attack Islam from within, it can't be done overnight. The Muslims hold on to their deen.
0: But I've heard it before where you know you, you speak to somebody and uh, they ask for an evidence on a particular issue and you send a hadith to them and they will say... Uh, Give, me a, gonna give the, me a verse of the, verse of the Quran. Quran. You know, it's so not. what you can see is, you know, the actual manifestation of this attack yeah. is the, already there. Yeah, the psyche, the is psyche is already and there. Like, yeah. What you're saying is 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 a ma- major point there, Rash, because maybe at the start, you just start the discussion. You throw in the question, you know, because before that, even the, the question was blasphemous. You throw in the question, okay, you get a response. Then after a bit, after a bit, you change, and it's generational, yeah? So, inshallah, you know, to sort of, uh, bring everything to uh, to a close. We can see, subhanAllah, that uh, you know the attack on the sunnah is to take it out of the realm of life. Uh, and if we can understand that Islam is not just a religion, it's a deen, which needs to be implemented, which needs to be protected, and which needs to be propagated to the rest of mankind. Without the sunnah, this is then redundant. And that's the reality of it. And we can see that the... The the enemies of of, of Islam To be honest with you Are they too fussed Whether Muslims use miswak or not They're probably not But they do care When Muslims are talking about Establishing Islam When Muslims are talking about Establishing justice And liberating their Persecuted uh, populations And taking Islam To the rest of the world This is something which um, You know They're afraid of So inshallah You know what Shall we like Go through some final points Summarize it Maybe even a call to action To our listeners You know Because the, even our discussion is Shouldn't be just seen as theoretical There should be some sort of An action Not just for
2: us For everyone who's listening Etc I just want to take it back To a point that uh, Brother Rash made um, You know We mentioned the Shahada We believe in the Prophet Sallallahu He is our our He is our messenger If you go all the way back To the battle of the trench It's, it's mentioned in Surah al Ahzab. You know, the kuffar have surrounded the Muslims at one end and at the back, they're uh, naturally protected. So, if these guys go out, Islam is finished that day, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what does he reveal, right? He doesn't reveal, you know, defend yourself, this, that, the other. What he reveals is that you're here. You know, people think, what am I doing here? What's going to go? They feel that fear that thing takes in. They say, you're here because you believe in the messenger. He is a messenger. He's not your father, he's not your son, he's not your uncle, he's your messenger. You accepted that mission and we are Muslims because we believe in that mission. They had that trench, we've lost our trench, the state. We've lost our, we're starting to lose our scholars. Next, it's us. Shaitan does not come attack just scholars, he attacks everyone. And his allies, Bin Salman, America, this, that, you know, the other, they're coming for us and we need to recognize that. And the first thing we do, as you mentioned, is protect ourselves with knowledge, they can get away with a lot of stuff, you know, saying that Islam is only peaceful. But if we knew the seerah of the Prophet wasallam, listen to the uh, Talking Deen podcast, uh, Talking, talking the Sira. Sunnah, Seerah, <laughs> <laughs> talking, <laughs> talking Sunnah, would that be a possibility? Talking
0: Seerah, Talking Seerah.
2: Talking Seerah. Would that be even possible? That people would think that the Prophet, uh, Prophet ﷺ was just peaceful. He engaged in war. When someone came to attack him, he dealt with them. We need to protect ourselves. The next thing we can do is we can understand and it is our duty upon us while we follow the Sunnah. Because these are this is Allah revealed these ayat for a reason, for us to accept them. They came as an address to them. When we say we're believers, then let's believe in Islam and understand the command to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. These people are attacking us on our gaps in knowledge. If the scholars aren't gonna do it, on the day of judgment are we gonna say the scholars never spoke? No. On that day you're on there for your own account. So you're gonna show us what your deeds are. And that's what you've got to understand. This is our fight now. Our trench is gone. The, the Muslims of that day they didn't say, "Oh, it's Abu Bakr, he was close to A." And he was close to, uh, to Prophe. It was every man standing for his corner of Islam. And that's us now, because we're weakened because the state is gone. The, the, our scholars are slowly going. They're being pacified. We have to understand they're coming for us. That's the first step. Then we have to do that knowledge gap. Then secondly, just like normal Muslims, think about this. If we say Islam came to address every single matter, if we understand this, when we're talking about certain matter, what we want to do in life, what, the first thing we have to ask is what would the Prophet Wasallam say? We don't have to. Mm. And that's how we come to a conclusion. This is bringing the life of the Prophet Wasallam into to life. To life. Yeah. And that's what it means. When Allah says, go back to what gives you life, this is it. Having these discussions, bringing it into our life. And this is the first step to um, addressing these issues. Taking charge of this and then engaging knowledge and then enacting it. Yeah, my concluding point is actually it's related very much. You've probably taken
1: a couple of my points there, but my concluding point is that you mentioned your mulkiyama. Yeah. yeah? On your mulkiyama, what's going to happen is that if our obligatory actions are not enough, what are going to be asked for our recommended actions? that yeah. So they're going to be asked for, and a lot of the times we go, okay, what is the problem with someone doing so many recommended actions? Yeah, what is the problem with that? So when you time explain to someone this attack, they go, okay, well, if this person has made this kind of recommended action so important that that's all they're doing, what is the problem in that? The, my response has always been is that on that day, because your obligatory actions are not enough and they go to your recommended actions, they may not be enough because the obligatory action that you neglected was so huge because what happened in society is those recommended actions, just like Ibn al Qayyim al Jawziya said, had been so beautified that you forgot
2: about all of your, rec- your obligatory actions. And so, think what the farad you're talking about, it's protecting the Prophet, his mission. mission. We're here because we believe in the mission of the Prophet. <laughs> what great farad, this should us he here in it our should, hearts. it should. Because this is who we are.
1: It should be, we should feel that that's an attack on Islam, it's an attack on our family, it's an attack on our children, our parents, it's an attack on our Prophet. If we then don't do anything, it's as if if someone was going to attack our parents on the street, we'd just stand idly by it and go, doesn't and you, matter.
0: And you, know, you know, subhanAllah, from what you're saying there, Rash, is the, the hadith of the Messenger of Allah, وسلم, which was uh, collected by Imam Malik in his Mu'tah, when he said, I've left behind two matters. Mm-hmm. Those who hold fast to them will never go astray. The book of Allah And the sunnah of his messenger So, so the, the ones who hold on to Both of them Will never go astray You take one out Then you are You know You're astray And also Imam wanna, Malik
1: even said The sunnah Is like the ark of Nuh hmm. Whoever enters it Is safe Whoever Is out of it Is destroyed
0: Okay And there's also A renowned uh, tabi as well Sufyan Thawri uh, When he said that And this This is very important Key as well When we understand That Islam is a practical deen He said, if anyone wishes to associate himself with any form of knowledge, he should associate himself with the knowledge of a hadith. For in this, aside from the knowledge of worship and the hereafter, there is the best knowledge and instruction of how to conduct oneself in every field of everyday life. You understand? So subhanAllah, we can see from there as well. But you know, to be honest with you is, from what what you guys have said really, there's nothing that I can really build on that because... You know, I can feel the pain. That that's all I'll say. And, and and I hope this is uh, you know this is the same for our uh, the people watching and the people listening because you know at the end of the day uh, this attack is something which you know is not on an aspect of Islam. This is attack on Islam itself. And as Muslims, you know, if we uh, you know for the the people listening and the, the people watching, you know, if there are elements of this that you haven't come across you know maybe some of the stuff that i've been we've spoken about whether it's the hadith or whether it's the collecting you know a lot of these things are stuff that as muslims on a basic level we should be should should understand why because then itself this is an obstacle for those who are trying to change this right so i think you know the the thing to take away from this is a to do some more research on what's happening do more research on the attack you know read about the Thousands and thousands of ulama that are being arrested, that are being incarcerated, and even being killed, right? Um, and, and you know, because remember, the ulama hold a special place in the in the ummah as well. And then, as Brother uh, Ishti said, you know, we need to do our research on the deen itself, on the sunnah, on the seerah, on the message of the messenger of Allah, وسلم, on, on his mission, okay? If we understand this, then you know we can protect our own iman we can protect the iman of you know our our children and our communities and which in turn is going to lead to the protection of of the ummah and this is something which is which is very very important you know it's not something uh where we're just going to intellectualize on this discussion and it ends there you know this is like a call of action so inshallah ta'ala if there is any final points by you brothers no, inshallah. So, on that note, you know, I would like to end, but before that, you know, inshallah, we need your support. You know, uh, nothing can happen without the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and your support. So, inshallah, go and check out the Voice of the Ummah uh, Facebook page, Instagram, Twitter, Telegram, uh, YouTube. You know, we're on uh, all major platforms and especially podcasts as well. We're on all major uh, podcast platforms, inshallah. Go check out check out our material, subscribe, follow, share. You know, the more Muslims that are going to hear this message, inshallah, ta'ala, the this is going to benefit yourselves and it's going to benefit us, and in turn, it's going to benefit the ummah and benefit Islam as well. So, inshallah, ta'ala, on that note, uh, I'll we will take your leave. Jazakallah, khair, for this amazing, uh, brilliant panel once again. And on that note, Jazakallah, khair.